Hello, and thank you for listening to Geezers of Gear. Today's episode is brought to you by Act Lighting, North America's leading distributor of entertainment technology products with top brands that include MA Lighting, Ayrton, Chainmaster, Robert Juliet, and custom cable assemblies and solutions from Rapco Horizon, Proco, and Roadhog. ACT is dedicated to supporting leading artists, designers, technicians, and suppliers in this industry by identifying cutting-edge disruptive technologies that inspire creative vision and advance the boundaries of live events and installations. ACT has 600 employees who are each dedicated to providing exemplary service and support and ensuring the show goes on by maintaining inventory and 24-7, 365-day technical expertise in nine locations throughout the United States, Canada, and Mexico. So please visit actlighting.com today. everyone and thanks for joining us here on geezers of gear episode number 17, 17 i think yeah so it's been four months we're having a great time we're getting a great response we're starting to get some really cool comments on uh, facebook and stuff so i love that you're loving it and uh it's a great thing i mean we're gonna keep doing it we're enjoying doing it and it looks like uh, the industry's enjoying it as well so this week we're gonna do our intro a little bit different. Last week during our episode, we had a conversation concerning the Grand MA console version three coming out. Lots of questions on that one for sure. There yep. have been a lot of questions and um, we kind of made up our own sort of version, which I think Henry fueled th uh, with information <laughs> that he had that was um, hardware is shipping, but software is still in development and they're expecting it over summer or something. And a really cool thing happened after the episode. We got a, um, a message or an email from the, I believe, CEO or president of Act Lighting, Ben Saltzman. And we decided to invite Ben onto the uh, podcast so that he could answer it directly. So hello, Ben. Morning, Ben. Good morning, Marcel. Good morning, Henry. The uh, first thing I wanted to say was thank you so much for inviting me to join you. I think it's really cool what you guys are doing here. Our industry is full of so many awesome personalities, and it's been great to hear, uh, to hear the stories that have been told over the past weeks of the podcast, and I'm really excited to hear who's coming up next. And it's a great opportunity for all of us just to get together and talk about what it is that we love doing. And that's, a, a, you know, there's nothing more fun than that. So thanks again. Yeah, thank, thank you for saying that, Ben. And it's, it's really, you know, it's, it's funny because this started as a very small thing where Henry and I could just talk about gear with people. And then we had somebody reach out to us and say, can I come on your show? And somebody else reached out and said, hey, I want to come on because that, that guy said that wasn't complete. I want to add to it. So it, it just keeps kind of snowballing a little bit. So it's really fun. And uh, I appreciate you saying that. So on the... On now the, we just need to figure out... Now we just need to figure out how to work in the hard rock circle bar theme from LDI and it'll be complete. Yeah. So Ben, first thing is let's get uh, the official response from Act Lighting on uh, the Grand MA3 console, which I know the entire industry 
uh, you know that we obviously operate a used gear business. So people are going crazy on the timing of when to start releasing their um, MA2s. And uh, obviously it's going to affect what happens with the price in the market of the MA2. And the MA1 really has already dropped to the floor as far as pricing is concerned. So I don't think there's going to be any impact there. But certainly on timing and pricing of the MA2s on the used market. And certainly, I mean, there's probably a lineup of designers and, and lighting companies who are bugging you constantly because they want to tour the MA3 console. So what's, what's the status? Sure. So just to speak first to how we arrived at the place that we are right now. So we made the announcement about the Grandma 3 um, extremely early because we didn't want people to be in, to invest in the Grandma 2 without knowing that the Grandma 3 was coming, right? So, you know, the most important thing to us, one of the pillars that MA Lighting is built on is trust. Yeah. And the trust of the customers that give us their money is incredibly important. Yeah. And so we wanted to get way out in front of this and let people know that, yes, there was going to be a Grandma 3. This is about when we think it's going to be released. And you can buy a Grandma 2 for the next year and a half, but understand that you're buying that knowing that there's a Grandma 3 coming. Right. Those Grandma 2s are a great investment. You know, it's, uh, it's been golden for people over the years, and the of Grandma course. 3 will be the same way. So you had your choice. You could make that investment, or you could buy the future-proof hardware that the Grandma 3 offers today. That's Something a, that I think that's would be... A, that's a pretty incredible uh, gesture. I mean, what you just said, <clears throat> I think a lot of people will skip over that, but I, yeah. I want to I let that sink in a little bit because, you know, 80%, 90% of manufacturers would keep it under a cloak of silence and secrecy until the moment it's ready to, to ship and right. the, yeah. and the version two has completely stopped production and car manufacturers do it. Everybody does it because obviously you need to keep revenue coming in while you're waiting for this new product to come out. So that's a pretty bold, uh, move. And, and I mean, quite awesome. Actually, I've, I don't think I've ever yeah. seen anyone do that. Yeah. So, so Listen, ben, to be one... blunt, it cost us a lot of money. Last of course year, it right? did. Of course <laughs> it did. Yeah. So Ben, it's been what the announcement came about a year ago at this point right now, right? Uh, for, on the great yeah. MA3. Yeah. January mistaken, of 2018. It's been about right. 15 months. Yeah. So and by that, and by that time, the hardware was already well under development because obviously circuit board components age and things like that and processors, right? So you had already, the team had already started on the, um, the hardware component of that, correct? Absolutely. It's been in development for, you know, and again, it's, it's not a secret that there's going to be another lighting console, right? right. So the, the original grandma was launched and, you know, they started working on the grandma too. Right. The yeah. Grandma 2 was out there. It was a stable platform. Again, it was an incredibly uh, it allowed it allowed the amazing artists that we support to do the most incredible shows on the planet. Yeah. And it allowed the lighting companies to make money. Right. But Absolutely. at the same time, the team at M.A. had to make sure that they were going to have a hardware platform that was ready for the future. Right. And so that's why we had to start from the ground up and we had to be ready for the next set of ideas, because, again, we respond to what the users are asking for. Yeah. So we had reached 
everything that we everything we could accomplish with the Grandma 2 hardware, we had accomplished. And to take the software and the tool that we give these artists to the next level, we needed a new set of hardware. And so that's how the Grandma 3 development really began really began from the ground up. Well, every everything evolves. I mean, you know, the moment the iPhone 10 came out, they were already well into the development of the iPhone 11 and they're all separate teams. Marketing is separate from engineering and all of those things. So everybody's working on a different sort of timeline, I guess, when it comes to this process. And I've been in it, you know, I, I worked, both of us did on the manufacturing side for a lot of our careers. But so it's, it's always complicated when you've got something new coming out, you can't please everyone. And so one thing I noticed while you're, while you're talking is you say we and, and uh, you're not saying them, you're not blaming the manufacturer, you're very partnered with this manufacturer. So I'm curious how, how partnered you are, and I'm not talking about ownership, but do they involve uh, Act Lighting in the development process, design process um, much? Absolutely. So there's a group that goes, uh, I like to joke and I say they like to go to a conclave in the Black Forest. Um, You know, so there's a there's a group of people that go out and plan the software and develop the software and do the alpha testing and do all those things that I don't really understand, to be honest with you. Right. Uh, There are members of that team who are employees of Act Lighting. So we're incredibly involved with MA. And, you know, it's one of the, the great privileges of my life is, you know, participating with a company as amazing as MA Lighting, yeah. you know, and the, the honor of being their distributor, it's, you know, it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've joked for years uh, about, well, I'm not joked. I'm probably secretly jealous um, with the success that Bob Gordon had first with the hog. And then, you know, that's going to be devastating, losing the hog console distribution, which you helped create and, you know, he was such a big part of that concept. And I say he, I mean the company act, um, was such a big part of that console development and just it being accepted so widely in the industry. And that could be like a death blow to a company losing that. And up pops Bob with MA lighting and the next hottest console that came out and the one that still dominates today. So, you know, good on him. I mean, that's just an incredible accomplishment to to be dealt a death blow and to come back even stronger, you know, unbelievable. Yeah, listen, Bob was a force. In, Bob was a force of nature, man. Yeah. You know, there he he got up in the morning, he looked in the mirror, he put that product on his shoulder, and he said, "How am I going to carry it up the mountain today?" And he so, sure did. You know, I'm not. I don't want to tell too many Bob stories because, you know, if there's a geezer who deserves to get to tell his own story, yeah. uh, you're going to have to have him on here one yeah. day. We absolutely um, will. Yeah. 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 But yeah, he's no, a cool it, guy. It, it, I mean, I'm, I'm very friendly with Bob and, and we yeah. used to talk at least once every couple months, just about not about anything in particular. You know, he's one of those guys. And I've mentioned before, Jonathan Resnick, uh, God rest his soul. You know, I used to talk to him every uh every couple of months and it was just kind of a barometer what's going on in the industry and you know just valuing each other's opinion as business people in this crazy business that we're in so I'm I'm where I am today because Bob Gordon put his arm around my shoulder in 2006 and said you know, it's great that you're doing all this wonderful work for other people, but what are you going to have for yourself when you get older? Right. And I was 34 or whatever at the time, 35. And I was like, 
I don't know what the fuck that means, Bob. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he said, he said, listen, why don't you come work for me? I'll teach you what that means. And when I'm ready to retire, you can buy the company. So, you know, that, that's how I got to be where I am. So, you know, I, I, I owe my, I owe what I've achieved. I owe a significant portion of what I achieved in my life to Bob. So I can't, yeah. you know, well, I, I mean, enough. speaking you, of what you've achieved, so, um, you know, obviously ACT is, is thank you very much. We're very grateful that you're now one of our sponsors of the Geezers of Gear yeah. podcast. But when I was reading through the promo that you had sent me, I was shocked when it said 600 employees. I, you know, honestly, and, and Henry and I talked about this before we hit record this morning, that if you would have, if someone would have said, how many employees do you think ACT has? I would have said 50, 60, maybe as high as 75 or something. I had no idea how big this company was. And that's stupid. I should know. But, uh, wow. I mean, that's quite an accomplishment. That's, that's unbelievable. That's incredibly amazing. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And, that's, and that's all work that we've done in the, in the past years. Right? Yeah. So, you know, again, we had this wonderful foundation that was ACT. Yeah. And one, another one of the pillars of MA is respect, right? So we're not, we're not boastful about what we do. We're very quiet. Um, but with a company that we've built here, you know, we're dedicated to finding cool technology and doing exciting stuff. Yeah. Right? That's, that's our passion. That's what, you know, I'm, I have a BFA in lighting design, right? I'm completely unqualified to be running a company of this size. Yeah. Uh, but here I am. Yeah, right? you're doing so, okay too. You, you know, you, you learn as you go. Yeah. Um, so, you know, again, my passion is that disruptive technology. And over the past few years, we had the opportunity to partner with some other companies and merge uh, AC Power Distribution and a company called Rapco Horizon into ACT. And we do a lot of manufacturing now for music retail and pro AV and installation companies. Right. So, well, know, that we, was another we, thing we, we didn't some know. really exciting projects. Henry, yeah. Henry and I talked about that this morning as well. We had no idea that you now own Rapco Horizon. So, yeah. so apparently uh, we need a better marketing department. <laughs> well, no, or we need to read more <laughs> industry trade magazines or something, you know, because I, I had no idea. I mean, I honestly, you know, I'm, I'm extremely, uh, um, you know, I'm, I'm blown away by how, how large the company is and by the things that I didn't know about the company. So I'm really happy to, uh, be in a very small way partnered with you on this process and, and, you know, learning more about the company and stuff. So, you know, back to kind of the core uh, question here. So let's, yes, let's yes, get sorry, back that, to the, there's nothing no, no. I enjoy talking about more. besides lighting. There's nothing I enjoy talking about more than act. So I'll, yeah, no, I'll, no. And I'll take us down that road as far as we go, but yeah. right, let's go back. But that's why, <laughs> that's why you're here. So, you know, we wanted you here yep. to, to talk not just about the console, but you know, maybe yep. a little bit more about the company and, and just so we can learn too, because obviously we're not in the know and therefore maybe an awful lot of our listeners aren't either. So it's a good thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that hardware is a work of art, Ben. It's it's gorgeous. But tell us, yeah. tell us the story. What's going on? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, Mike, uh, for, first of all, for for those who don't know, M.A. is actually there. Is, there is a person. His name is Michael Adnow, who founded the company. So Michael and the team have done a phenomenal job with the hardware. And in terms of the software, we learned a tremendous amount in the transition from grandma to grandma two. Right. The the 
what was called compatibility mode in the Grandma 2, which let you do essentially a really half-assed poor job of running a grandma show really dragged a lot of people down at the beginning of the life of the grandma too. So one of the uh, precepts or one of the foundations of the grandma three was there must be a fully featured version of the grandma two software. It's called mode two inside the grandma three hardware before we start shipping it. Right? So number one, we had to make sure that when we shipped you this hardware, you could do a show. And that was about a lesson that we learned last time around. Right. And so that mode two is fully fleshed out. There are plenty of people we've already shipped just in North America alone. We've shipped hundreds of consoles. The factory has shipped thousands of consoles and there are people all over the world doing shows on grandma three hardware using mode two. Right. So the console is usable and you can do everything you could do on a grandma two, you could do on a grandma three. Cool. That's, um, the that's, grandma. that's a huge step, by the way. I mean, that's obviously a very big thing because, you know, I know a lot of products that are coming out today, most of which my son owns, are not backwards compatible. And it's right. so frustrating because you buy into a platform and then you have to redo everything that you've done. And, you know, obviously in this business, much worse. So... Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, if this was a, like a money grab, you know, we could have, you know, we, we could have gotten rid of the development team years ago and just kept churning out Grandma 2 hardware. We could have, you know, who knows, taken it to China and figured out ways to, to build it, uh, to build it in a more efficient manner. You know, again, what Michael's passion is for is this gorgeous hardware and making sure that that software team is staying current and looking to the future of what the users are going to want to do. And, you know, so that's where we are with the Grandma 3 software right now, yeah. right? So the Grandma 3 software, there will be a Grandma 3 software version 1.0 when it's ready. <laughs> yeah. right? So what, what I, uh, you know, of course, now Henry's going to say, well, what does ready mean and what does exactly. when mean? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the target is to have the software in the console, in the customer's hands this summer. Okay. Um, ready means it's a fully featured piece of software with plenty of tools available to do most shows, right? So there's new things in this console. Effects are now called phasers. There's, a, you know, there's all kinds of new features, um, some of which are fully built out, some of which are still being worked on. And when software version 1.0 comes out, we are comfortable saying that the console is stable, you can do your show and you will find most of the features that you that you expect when doing your show. It's not going to have everything. Right. You know, the, 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 the evolution of the grandma two software, the evolution of grandma software, the evolution of any software, right? You add features over time. Yeah. Um, so how big is this? How, how big is the software development team at MA? Three, there's about three dozen people, not including the testers. Jeez. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. So, you know, there's, there's a, you know, there's a lot going on here. There's a lot of people working together. Yeah. Um, you know, the task force is developing the consoles, uh, the concepts, 
there's a software team in Valbutelbrunn, Germany, working on, working on turning that into code. Um, a big piece of that now in today's world is there's as much code in the console to protect it from someone copying and stealing the software as there is to actually doing what the computer is supposed to be doing at the time. Right. Right? We're all going to go to the get show next week, and we're going to see a whole lot of black boxes with yellow keys uh, with screens that look a lot like ours. Yeah. And that's something that MA is very focused on um, protecting, protecting their IP. Obviously, they have a tremendous amount invested into giving people the products that they want to use, and that's something that they think about. You know, it's yeah. unfortunate that we. It's unfortunate that you have to spend time or money thinking about that. Yeah. But that's the world we live. Oh in. yeah, we talked about that a bit last week. I mean, you know, we were talking about a factory. Uh, Sound poo. I even remember the name of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. A factory called I remember Sound a rumor. Poo. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, making microphones. Right? Yeah. I remember a rumor back in the day, and one of you guys may have actually worked for this one of these companies, not the copy company, but there, there were Mac 2000s. Uh, where they had copied it down to the serial number. So there are all these Mac 2000s floating around the world with the exact same serial number because the copy company had gotten it right down to that. Yeah, that's crazy. I didn't work there at the time that the Mac 2000 yeah. came out. and uh, But yeah, I had heard the same stories. And I've seen a lot of those copies. And uh, it's amazing how close they got it. I mean, they really, really did get it close. It's yeah. uh, it's scary. So, you know, before we let you go, I wanted to ask you another. Yep. I, I want to step in a pile of poo here and ask you yep. about the transition from Clay Packy to Ayrton, how that's going, sure. maybe <laughs> as much as you want to tell me about how it came about. And um, I've always sort of from afar been a big fan of Ayrton, not only because they're doing some really cool, uh, innovative, as you keep saying, disruptive things, but I've always been a fan of how they present their product in these YouTube videos and these trade shows and stuff. I just think I've always been a light show guy. You know, I, I did a bunch yeah. of big ones when I was at Martin. And I've, I've always been a fan of that trade show light, sh light show yeah. to be able to show your products. And I think they do it better than anybody right now. Yeah. It's lighting Viagra, man. That's where yeah. what it is. Yeah, it's very Absolutely. cool. Very cool. Um, yeah, no, we were, we were offered the opportunity uh, to distribute Ayrton. We've actually been distributing Ayrton since January of 2018. So we, we've been distributing Ayrton for about uh, – January of 2018 was a big month for ACT. Yeah, yeah it sounds like it. <laughs> um, you know, so we've been distributing Ayrton for about, you know, again, about a year and a half now. Um, and it really comes down to the exact same thing. Um, the gentleman who's the inventor – at Ayrton. His name is Evan Payard, right? I mean, this is someone who's so into technology, so into Formula One, that he named his company after Ayrton Senna, right? Wow, I did the, not the, know that. Know, the, and I'm a yeah, huge Formula and, One know, fan, so yeah, that's and, cool. And all those funky names, right? Ghibli, uh, Mistral, you know, everyone's like, what are the names? What are the names? They're Maseratis. They're, mo they're models of Maseratis, hmm. right? That's, that's what he names his lights after. Um, although I think we've run out of Maseratis uh, with the new fixture, the Huracan. Uh, we're flipping over to Lamborghinis, Lamborghini. as I understand yeah. it. <laughs> wow. Um, you know, but Evan has this passion for technology, and 
you know, the, the innovative design, the quality manufacturing, that's what got me really excited about the Ayrton line. And, you know, again, it, I, looked at, I looked at what Ayrton does. I looked at what ACT does. And these two things fit together so perfectly. Uh, I just saw that, we saw that as the future as the future relationship in terms of making sure that we were on the cutting edge of the future technology. You know, I'm sure Van has ideas in his head that I don't even know. I yeah. don't even understand what he's thinking. Yeah. You know, and if you look at the way um, we were demonstrating this past Saturday, we were demonstrating the Ayrton camp scene against a fixture from another manufacturer that literally comes out of the same factory and to get the exact, almost the exact same amount of light out the front lens, the competitor's fixture was 22 pounds heavier and six inches taller. That's right? incredible. So, and, what, and, and why is that? That's because Evan designs the fixtures like people think about Formula One race car engineering, right? You know, the entire head is part of the heat sink, uh, the heat dissipation, right? There, there are all these little things that he's done that are just amazing. And I just, you know, I got really excited about that. Um, when I saw the products and the opportunity came up about two years ago, we started talking about it and that's where we are today. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Well, I very much appreciate you coming on today, Ben. It's, on, uh, ben. it's been very cool yeah. having you. We're, we're going to get you on again and again and again. And, yep. you know, for these Absolutely. little mini talks, and um also we very much appreciate your sponsorship we've whined on the show in the past about how much how much time and a little bit of money cost money yeah it's it's obviously your time is valuable but i had no idea that it cost money to do something yeah it's not a huge amount of money but you know certainly between you and a few other sponsors who have come forward it's it's definitely uh it's made it so that it's not costing us to come and do this every week. So we're going to keep expanding and keep doing this. And we appreciate you very much. Thanks for clearing up. And like I said, yep. Yep. And like I said, you know, there's nothing more interesting than listening to people sit around and talk about lighting. So please keep doing this. Uh, It's a whole lot of fun. I've learned a lot listening um, and certainly been entertained. Well, we appreciate that. And we're actually about to talk to an audio guy. So I'm sorry to disappoint you, but we'll try and get some lighting stuff in there too. (laughs) All right. Have a good morning. Thanks, Ben. Appreciate it. Okay. Okay. And we are back with David Haskell. How are you this morning, Dave? I am fantastic this morning. How about you, Marcel? We are doing great. We uh, we just had uh, our awesome new sponsor, Act Lighting, was was on. Uh, the CEO of the company was on talking about their business a little bit. And there's a, a big uh, mystery going on in the industry right now on when the Grand MA3 console oh. is going to be fully shipping and fully working. And so we just kind of <laughs> got it from the horse's mouth here. And so that was kind of fun. But uh, well, I, I can't wait to listen and see what Ben actually said. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of people are in that position. So uh, <laughs> I think there's a lot of a lot of people who have that console on order and who want to know when they can start using it. But it, definitely very honest uh, response and actually one that I didn't really expect where they were. They announced it early on purpose so that people stopped investing in old hardware and waited to invest more in the new hardware and that's just uncommon in this industry you know usually people keep a cloak of silence over something until you know they've completely maximized the dollars on the way out the door and in the door you know 
So yeah, pretty interesting stuff. So you are, I believe, our first official quote audio guy on audio. Geezers of Gear. And hey, sad, all right. sadly, Glad to be the first. Yeah, sadly, Henry and I are both uh, pretty longtime lighting guys. Both of us have a little bit of audio in our backgrounds, but we're both longtime lighting guys, and therefore, many of the friends who have come forward and said, hey, "I want to be on the show." Um, have been in the lighting industry, but we don't want to be a lighting podcast. We want to be a an industry podcast for gear, audio, lighting, video, all of it. And so we're very happy to have uh, not only an audio guy, but a really great audio guy with lots and lots of history on uh, today. So thanks for joining us. I, thank you. Yeah, I've, I've learned a lot about lighting too, which we can get into that. I, I, I speak both languages almost fluently now. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess uh, when, you, when you take over the helm on a, on a sound and lighting company, you're going to have to kind of learn both disciplines a bit, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I've learned that, uh, we're, we're a successful, we're a successful lighting company with a very expensive sound habit. So yeah, no, yeah. yeah. there you have it for sure. So, so Dave, uh, go you're ahead. up in Nashville, you know, tell yes. us a little bit about what's going on in Nashville. Obviously, you know, we see a lot of tours coming out of Nashville. I'm, you know, I went down through Polestar again today. It's amazing how many tours are going out, how many production companies are pouring in there. Give us an idea a little bit about, you know, what's going on over there. Tell us about, you know, tours you guys have out. Give us an update. Here. Yeah, boy, overall, Nashville is just, Nashville's on fire and, and kind of has been for the last five years. I mean, it's the statistics that you hear from everybody. I mean, 500 people a week moving to the city. Wow. Oh, my. That's you know? cool. And, and, they all have, and they all have four cars. Just try and drive around here on any given day. <laughs> right. You know? Right. But that's, I mean, it's very healthy. There's, there's a lot of companies. I mean, Nashville is very well represented by a lot of really high quality production companies, you know, not just ours, but, but everybody. And there's plenty, I'm happy to say there's plenty of work for everybody. You don't hear anybody, anybody that, you know, I have dinner with a lot of my colleagues a lot of times and nobody's complaining about not having any work or not having any gear right now. It's, it's exactly the opposite where everyone's calling each other's like, do you have any of these? You know, do you have, it's like, it's like a high tech game of go fish down here anymore. You know, right. right. <laughs> it, yeah. It's kind of interesting a, that, every, that back in the, uh, back in the eighties, the late eighties, when, you know, SeaWorld built out in Orlando, sorry, I should say that, right. You know, you had a huge inrush of production companies, um, into the Orlando area when Disney expanded, when, you know, and you had a, a big bum rush in and then a three or four year run. And then people started leaving and going out of business because the market became saturated. And I guess in our pre-call yesterday, you're telling me that's not the case, right? Everybody's busy. No, not at all. I mean, everybody came in, you know, we, I've seen, you know, we, we call it the, the gold rush. There's golden in their hills. I've, you know, I've been fortunate to be through a few of them. And this one of the last five years, I mean, nobody's left. Everyone's come and nobody's left, which is very positive to say about the industry. There's a lot of work here and, you know, people aren't you know, cutting each other's throats here either. You know, well, it's a, am I the only it's person? Very, it's a very nice, yeah, it's a very nice environment here now. I mean, everyone coexists really nice. Am I the only one who thinks though that um, like country music today has kind of become rock and roll music of 25 years ago with the massive shows and, 
And I, I mean, it just seems like the country stars of today are the pop stars of, of today or 15, 20 years ago, even where they're just huge. Like we talked with David Milley about this, where country bands used to kind of be, you know, they used to tour with park hands and pretty small sound systems. And, you know, they, they weren't big tours. And now the country tours are bigger than the rock and roll tours. There's no, there's been a, there's been a big shift in that, you know, and, you know, we, you know, the age old thing of how do you define what is country anymore? Country's, you know, I classify it a lot, you know, it's a rock show. I don't know if the, the music is so much rock, yeah. you know, it, it leans towards that direction, but from the production side, you know, a lot of tours that we have out and just, you know, other tours in general that are going out of Nashville are just over the top, you yeah. know, as far as production goes, which is, Amazing. I guess that's a large part of what's supporting everyone that's moving here, you know, yeah. both from the production company side and the and the quality of, you know, we obviously have a, you know, a large, a large pick of the musician pool here that are all very talented. And and we're also getting to that point where we've got a, a really high talent level in the technical side as far as personnel goes in this town. It's, yeah, it's, you know, we're growing up. Every Everybody got sick of L.A. and trying to afford a house and living in their car and they come here and go, what? I can work 38 weeks a year and make enough money to buy a big house. Or I could live in a nicer Sign car, live in a nicer car. Yeah, it's not, well, <laughs> yeah, that's for your nicer and, truck. And so. maybe not get <laughs> mugged. Yeah. No, that's, that's So, you know, I'm, I'm curious cause actually going through this process, you know, I have to be perfectly honest and um, sadly, I, I don't have a relationship with you, so I don't really, I, we haven't had any history together. I've never sold you product or, or been involved with your company. So I don't know that I don't know anything about you except what I've learned in the last week. And you're a heck of an interesting guy and you've done a lot of really cool stuff. Um, but maybe you can kind of tell us a little bit about, you know, I don't necessarily want to hear the history of, of Morris because I think a lot of it didn't involve you. Um, or, or maybe it did, but, um, you know, kind of how you got your start in the industry and how you ended up, uh, being at the head of, of an awesome, uh, production company based in Nashville. Um, <clears throat> you know, fill us in a bit. Oh, yeah. the, the, the short, the, the 15 minute, this is your life version. Yeah. That's yeah. the one. Yeah. That's the <laughs> one. Yeah, perfect. Well, I mean, my affinity for music has, has always been, you know, at the forefront. I mean, ever since God, I could remember five, six, seven years old. I remember, you know, first grade show and tell I took Alice Cooper's love it to death album in because it opened it up with the gigantic eyes in the middle. I just thought that was the coolest thing ever. David, you, you want to know? know something so, funny. So, uh, I was a big Alice Cooper fan and I was a musician growing up and I think I can't remember if it was sixth grade or seventh grade, but we had um, shop class back then, and I don't know what they call it today. They probably don't even have it anymore. But we had shop yeah, class, and there was a there was a point where you had to take apart like a an engine, a lawnmower engine, and put it back together. And you listened to a cassette tape to take it apart and put it back together, and you followed the steps of the cassette tape. So me and my partner in that class uh, put in Alice Cooper, "Welcome to My Nightmare." And we <laughs> took the thing apart and, of course, struggled to get it back together. And we had all these extra parts and stuff. So we just kind of shoved them <laughs> off to the side and made it look like it was back together. But then we realized yeah. you, had to, you had to actually pull the engine and start it to, to pass the class. 
And so when people weren't looking, we just kind of rolled the tables next to each other and swapped them. And we got the working engine and the other guy pulled the string and it came right out of the engine. And, uh, so yeah, anyways, I digress. I'm sorry. Yes. Yes. It certainly was. Certainly was. Goodness. Yeah. I mean, like you said, music was, was always the forefront of, you know, hell all of my waking thoughts and, Remember in, in junior high school, you know, I, I, I started fancied myself as a musician and remember working for God knows how many years at, uh, in uh, Atlantic Beach, North Carolina, Moorhead City. I was a Cherry Point baby. My father was uh, in the Marine Corps there. And that's kind of where I was born and grew up. And, you know, there was a place, there was a guy there named Jan who ran a, a music store called Don's Music City. God, I'll never forget it. And that was the place where you would always there in Woodson Music. Those were our two places. You'd always go drool over the custom pleated amps and the keyboards. But I remember I my first, I bought a guitar. I bought a Les Paul. It was a '76 Les Paul anniversary. The, the Peter Frampton model. You know the black one with all silver and the three yeah, pickups. And I know it well. Back in the day when there was when there was layaway. You know you would literally, you know, give him twenty bucks and he'd hold it. And then you know it was like the the worst torture ever. You'd go to the store, you know, twice a week and look at that guitar hanging up there and you're like, God, you know, 63 more payments. It'll all be mine. And he let you play it. You know, it was, yeah. it was great. But, I mean, it, so that all started, saved all the money. Dear God, I wish I hadn't had those guitars still. And then uh, from that, you know, working, working around different jobs. And then I, I got a, I got a gig at a place called rainbow records there in Havelock, North Carolina. And it was a, it was a record store and it sold stereo equipment. And boy, I guess that's where my gear affinity started. I was, you know, in high school and I was selling, you know, stereo equipment to the Marines. They'd get their paychecks on Friday and come in and, you know, Advent speakers and Sansui things and Techniques turntables. And that's where I guess where the gear affinity really kind of hit me. And that's awesome. uh, My oldest friend, Andy Hudage, and I grew up. Andy was a drummer uh, there in Havelock and we had a band. And I remember we would sit in the back of the, the store and, and set up uh, set up curtains and set up sheets and take pictures in front of his road cases and his drums, you know, like we we're making album covers and things. It was what a great place to do it. A record store that had really kick-ass stereos that you had access to all the yeah. time. It was amazing. Yeah. You know, so that's got to <laughs> started selling Marines, you know, stereos to Marines. That's kind of uh, where the gear, the gear affinity gets going. Yeah, yeah. And then I'll never forget. I mean, we, uh, we used to either, back as you did, you, you would have bands come and play at your high school. And I mean, this was probably 1976, 75, maybe. I can't remember. But there was a local band called Nantucket that was a regional band out of Jacksonville, North Carolina. They came and they played our high school. And man, if you talk about the, the, the moment in your life when the switch turns on. Yeah. And I remember they were doing uh, Pick Up the Pieces and Eddie Bear, Blair was playing a a, a tenor and an alto sax at the same time and Kenny soul playing drum, And I'm just like, Oh my God, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Just watching these guys, you know? Yeah. So long story short, I kind of, of course, when the, you know, the band was finished and everything stayed up, of course I stayed, you know, I was like, you know, I think I was like 14 or 15 years old at the time. I was like, how, how do I get out? How do I go on the road with you guys? So I learned it, you know, started packing up cases and helped them get out that night and befriended, you know, the guys in the band who are still great friends of mine to this day. And 
I remember as soon as I got my driver's license, what's the first thing I do? Hell, I'm going to go find where Nantucket's playing. And I would, I would literally, I followed that band around the Carolinas and Virginia for a year for free, just helping, showing up, you know, moving cases. And one thing led to another and it worked. uh, There was a guy named uh, Jet Matthews, who was from Havelock as well, was their manager. And he gave me the opportunity right out. I was still in high school. I was my junior year in high school. And I remember I had it figured out where I could miss 31 days of school that year, you know, and, and I kind of set my own itinerary and by God, I went and followed that band all over the place until finally, when I got old enough to get away from school, you know, got the opportunity to go out and, and work with them. And at the time they were, they were, a, you know, they had a deal. They were signed to Epic records. Their first album was out. It was, Man, it was just those those days. I mean, this is when Boston, Foreigner, every you know every band in the world was just yeah, coming it was, out. And it was really a pretty getting, cool time. Getting big in this era. Very cool time for music, for sure. Yeah, and we we ended. I ended up going out and following them around and working with them and started running sound. And they were. I mean, we were the world's greatest opening act. Dan Tuckett was. I mean, they opened up from everyone from the Stones to Kiss to foreigner to boston to i mean acdc you you name it and uh there was a front of house guy there named ed hobson i don't know how many people would know or remember ed but ed is the guy that i kind of credit really getting me the bug to be behind the console and running sound uh you know it was he was one of the best at it and there was a gigantic jbl system with crown amps and we and they had their own truck with a rebel flag on the side of it. You know, God, what could be cooler, you know? Yeah. So, so, Dave, what, <laughs> what console were you mixing on at that point? So this is 1978, right? So what is your first console that you're getting behind and turning the knobs on? The, well, before that, I did some regional things. It was, well, my first desk ever was a Sun Magna mixer. And I don't know if anybody remembers oh. those. It was an eight-channel. It's kind of like the Tapco, eight-channel rotary knobs. No, there were no favorites yep. back then. You know, and we... Uh, yeah, my from my, that, we, my yeah, first we band, that. my first band had a Sun. I don't know if it was the same mixer, but we had a Sun mixer and uh, like Sun column speakers. And uh, oh yeah, yeah, that was what we played high schools and stuff with. Same, we yeah, that we came out of that Sun Sunboard quarter inch into an MXR five band guitar equalizer, and then a long quarter inch cable straight into a pile of BGW amplifiers. You know, nice. good God. What a fire hazard, but yeah, man, it no was kidding. fun and it sounded great, you know? Yeah. But, um, you know, from the, the, the Nantucket thing, uh, Ed Hobson, again, crediting Ed, they had their own sound company. It was called Rollywood Sound. It was based out of Raleigh. And I think John Kovac, I think he still has that company active and working, which is amazing. But I'll never forget, we were playing Atlantic Beach, North Carolina one night, and Ed Hobson was behind the desk at the time, and he had had a you know, had a bad night or an off night or a night, you know, with Ed, you never knew. And I remember he really pissed off. He says, you want to get in the sound business tonight? Your night threw me the keys to the truck and says, I quit. You're out of here, you know, go. Hmm. So we're like, okay, cool. What do we do? Ray hunt. I'll never forget it. And we loaded up the gear there at night. And at the time it was, the package was Nantucket mother's finest 38 special. That was the bands that you all played together. And then Molly Hatchett would in, in or out of there. Everybody, every band had, you know, there was three people that played together or two or three and everybody 
rolled around together. I mean, that's where I first met Robert Roth, you know, in the, in the late seventies with his square park hands. He was an innovator. Oh yes, my God. You know, yeah. how cool this was. But anyway, we got in, right there. We left Atlantic beach and drove the truck. Never been in a semi in our lives and drove this semi all the way to the Fox theater. And anyone who's played the Fox theater, we managed to grind the gears all the way to Atlanta and, back that thing down that long alley. I don't know if anybody's ever been there, but I've done that. And I yep. guess that's where, that, that's where it was born. You know, that's where quote unquote, my sound career got its, you know, that was when I had really hit the big time, you know, in my opinion, it was, it was good times. And we, you know, the, and then from Nantucket, the, the company was a regional company and we, we, you know, took our PA all over the place to nightclubs and places like roadies in Goldsboro, North Carolina was a big account of ours. And we do all the regional and national acts. And it was literally one or two person. You would, one guy would take a semis full of gear with two hungover guys that worked in the bar the next day and set the shit up yourself. You know, <laughs> different, I mean, no, no different times, was, huh? you know, yeah, you know, you kids get off my lawn. You know, that, you know, <laughs> yeah. That's but it truly was that way. You mixed, you, you know, you, you partied, you hung out with the band, and you loaded the truck, and then you drove the truck. You know, it was, I mean, a lot of people can, you know, can relate to that. And I know you guys, Marcel, and we're, we're all of that same era. Yes, we are. We did that. Which Absolutely. I, yeah. So, you're, so that, uh, your transition so you, from that eight-channel son to, like, was it a slow oh, it was, transition it into the big stuff? Yeah, I got, got off, got off, went into another direction. No, it was there not. to a, at Rollywood Sound, we had... PM 1000s. And I mean, boy, we were the shit. We had two of them at front of house and one on monitors. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, we're 30, you're talking 32 whole channels out there, buddy. That's big. You know, <laughs> that's with, big. Oh, with you the, can almost mic every drum. You can almost mic every drum at that almost. point, right? Yeah, that's pretty cool. Well, yeah. Yeah, Kenny Soul, the drummer in Nantucket. Dear God, I'm mean, Kenny is still out there just killing it. One of my favorite drummers. What a, what a great drummer and what a what an amazing human being too. Yeah. But just just good times, good times, man. That's and cool. so we had a, uh, I remember it was a PM one thousand, all JBLPA, uh, MXR digital delay out at front of house with all four cards, man. I mean, we were we were it. You know, you could you could make a tap delay two hundred and fifty milliseconds. That's that's what made you big. How yeah. long it could repeat? You know, that was <laughs> yeah. It, it really is amazing when we look at where we've come, uh, you know, from a, from a standpoint of gear, you know, with the tape delays and, uh, you know, I remember the first, what was the first Yamaha, like th there was a single space Yamaha processor, SPX 90 maybe or something that was so hot when uh, it, it came out because it, it just a... simpli simplified everything. Oh God. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, man. And now people are clamoring to have them back. Yeah, know, yeah, maybe. It's true. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's true. There's a huge yeah, following yeah. on all that vintage gear. It's wild when I when I see that type of stuff. All the old vintage lexicon stuff and things like that, right? The 480s. Yeah, hell, I've amazing. I've kept most of ours just for. I guess I'm just that old guy that like, don't don't want to let it go. Anybody in there? Anybody that works for him in the shop or in the audio department's listening? No, I'm sure they'll all concur. Yeah. <laughs> well, somebody somewhere will start yeah, really a sure. somebody will start a gear. Uh, you know, museum somewhere, I'm sure that's going to have the first moving light and the first, you know, digital audio console, the first real analog audio console, you know, the first condenser microphone, blah, blah, blah. Right. 
we can make quite a contribution to it over there at, at Morris. We've got the, the original satellite lighting fixture in the original console for that sitting in the front oh, door of our office. That's so, outrageous. That's crazy. The, the Death Star light, right? That's unbelievable. That's exactly the trust caster, the Death Star light, whatever you wanted to call it. <laughs> yeah. Well, we talked, uh, we talked with uh, Mark Brickman, I don't know, a month ago or something, and we talked about the Z-Scan from Obi. You know, Obi was importing the Telescans mm -hmm. for Brickman for Pink Floyd, and they needed yep. something a little different. They, they wanted basically an automated follow spot kind of look, a big fat beam, real bright xenon looking thing. And the way they found it was by going to uh, Hughes, um, and they were basically looking for a helicopter searchlight is what they said they were looking for. So they basically took a helicopter searchlight and made it into a moving light. And so Brickman had his version, and then I got an email from somebody else who had their version. And then uh, just last night, I got a message from another gentleman who says, I invented the Z-Scan, and here's why, and here's what I want to tell you about it. So, I mean, it's creating this whole, like, underbelly of, you know, who did what uh, to create these products. So it's pretty funny. Scott DeVos chimed in on that, Dave. Yeah. You know Scott, right? Yeah. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Good times. Not, yeah. Well, Good I mean, times. this this is such an industry where, you know, just like music, and I love listening to, to Jimmy Page talk. He did this thing, uh, what was it called, with um, Jack White and The Edge. It's going to get loud. It's a documentary. I think it's on Netflix or something. Yeah. But yes, Jimmy, Page, Jimmy Page just talks about, like, you know, crinkling things together and coming up with this weird sound and then recording it from the other side of the room. And, you know, just those innovative things that you had to do when you didn't have gear that could just, or samples or whatever, that you could just throw stuff together and, and create a sound. You had to make it up yourself. And like the stones throwing pennies in the piano on Sympathy for the Devil. Yeah. I mean, that's incredible stuff. I love that yeah. stuff. And it's kind of gone, you know, like, uh, I mean, are you involved in the recording process at all right now? Yeah, we. St I um, our owner Dale has, and I've been uh, for the last five years and responsible and, and kind of oversee the tracking room here in Nashville. Okay, which is and and speak. I mean, the irony of it. Guess who's in there today? Bob Ezrin is in there today. Oh wow! Speaking of Alice Cooper, he's in with uh, Deep Purple cutting the record right now. Oh, that's pretty cool. Awesome. That's really cool. Yeah, talk about fanboy you know you don't get an opportunity to go in <clears throat> when people are you know you try and stay away from the studio when musicians are in there in their quote-unquote creative environment but i remember when bob ezrin came in uh, the last time with pink uh, not with pink floyd <laughs> i wish but speaking of pink floyd you know him it was kind of like oh the guy you idolized for all those years of you know making all these alice cooper records and you meet him you know you feel you know almost like uh you know what's the uh, saturday night live guy uh, will um, oh, or cowbell, right? Yeah, yeah, we'll yeah, yeah. Like, remember like when you remember like when you did the wall with Pink Floyd? Yeah, that was cool. Yeah. So know? through <laughs> through a friend, we're looking at uh, probably having Eddie Kramer on, and you know, I want to hear some of that stuff because he did, I think, all of the Ooh. Jimi Hendrix albums, and I mean, Eddie Kramer's done so many incredible recordings, and again, he's one of these no innovators. Doubt. He's he's an innovator. He's a guy that makes up sounds and. You know, so I'll tell you a very quick, funny story. When I was growing up as a as a working musician, um, making no money at all, and really, I, I you know, 
I think I always wanted to be behind the scenes, but I was a musician just because that's where you got the girls and, and you know, it, whatever. It was just fun being a musician for a little while. But what I didn't know is that I had a cousin, an older cousin, who was Bruce Fairbairn. And so cool. I, I didn't know this when I was a musician. Oh, little, little known guy in the industry. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I, I, why I wouldn't put two and two together and realize that this guy was actually related to me, who knows, but I didn't. And so it was right. later on in life that, uh, well, not later on in life, but I think I was already out of playing and into sort of the behind the music business. And, uh, and I realized that this guy was my cousin and I met him once only or maybe twice, once at a family event when I didn't know who he was, and then once when I did know who he was, and then he died shortly after. So, um, but yeah, don't know why I told you that, except uh, that I really do, you know, Ezrin and these guys, <clears throat> you know, they're not a dime a dozen. The really, really cool producers are, uh, are can make such a difference. And some of yeah. these iconic albums <clears throat> that, you know, I still listen to today, you you hear the things that they're doing and like you said, throwing coins at the piano and that stuff's cool. I like that. Recording oh, yeah. in stairwells. You have to get echo. <clears throat> well, or Zeppelin yeah. going out and renting a weird farmhouse somewhere, you know, because of the acoustics and putting the drums in one room and a microphone in another room and just different things like that. I, I love those techniques. And, you know, I think that the, the sound and lighting business are very similar where, you know, if you need something to do something and, and somebody's got a vision, like they're like, I, you know, I really want to see this thing like this. Somebody figures out a way to make that happen. Yep. Oh, yeah. That's, well, that's, that's, that's how we all keep our jobs. Right? Yeah. 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 It's cool. <laughs> it's cool. I like it. <clears throat> so um, keep going. So we're at, we're at, at Nantucket band still. And I, where did you go from there? I mean, you still yeah, from, you still from, work with them, right? Or, or I don't even know if they're around. Yeah, did you mix their did you I, mix I, their thirty fifth anniversary show, Dave, or no? I did, I did. I did not. I did not. <laughs> I've been I haven't had an opportunity to get to get back for that. Although I would have loved to attend it. I'm still a super super fan of them. Yeah. So after you know Dan Tuckett, when that kind of you know we we ran through there, and that that gave us you know gave everybody a lot of opportunities to step up and go work with other larger acts. And I mean it's. Through that, I remember working with a. I met a guy named Ken Canup, who was a booking agent. <clears throat> He's based out of Fayetteville, North Carolina. And I said, oh, I want to try this for a little while. And so he made me an agent, and you know, had a briefcase, and you know, much like it's like kind of like the John Wiseman story, you know, <laughs> kind of get. Yeah, I'm going to go take the world it's, over. It's you know? funny that got no uh, money and a half a tank of gas. I'm going to make it. You know, and <laughs> I did that for a couple of years and worked with a a band out of Florida named sugar. We were, a, uh, I booked them and actually ran sound with them too. It was kind of a, you know, you always have to have two gigs, you know, that's how you make it in the music business is to have two gigs. Yeah. Say. But yeah, we were a, a, you know, a club act that went, went all played the, you know, the Florida circuit and all through the Southeast and shit. We had more, as much pyro as kiss did back then. And, but we were blowing this shit up in nightclubs, you know, it was, it was, it was good time. <laughs> Sounds like, but, it. um, yeah, went you know continued that did that and then kind of you know took it took a year or so off from it and and uh, went back to Rainbow Records believe it or not uh, back went home for a year or two and then uh, was was running a record store and then managed a nightclub in Jacksonville North Carolina called the Chateau Madrid so I was 
working in a record store by the day and then driving all the way to Jacksonville and running a nightclub and then driving back the next morning, you know, early the next morning to open the record store. So you can, you can probably connect the dots and see how long that lasted. You know? <laughs> and you're, yeah. you're what, like in your early twenties at this point or something? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh so yeah. This is wide, what about 19, 1985, 86, somewhere in there. Uh, this would have been like 83, 84. Right. This was all, it all kind of runs together. And then, you know, got out of that and then went on to work with a, a band at another North Carolina band called the Embers. I don't know if you guys are much familiar beach music band, show band. I do I not mean, know. They've them. been together since 19, since 1958, these guys, and they're still working. Wow. One of the best beach music R and B show bands, you know, them, you got to, yeah, I worked with the Tams for a little while and God, you know, God, I could go on for hours about telling crazy stories about, being the only person of, of, of non-color out in a touring the world with a band like the Tams. <laughs> That's you know, I probably was, an experience. I was the guy. Yeah. But yeah, I was that guy. And it, it was so much fun. I mean, there, it, you know. Kind of like the Green Book. And, and the Green Book. Which I is just, a, my wife and I just watched that movie the other night. What an unbelievable what a, movie. Marriage. Yes, I was, I was totally that guy. You know, what an unbelievable Except movie. Instead of one person in the car, I had 30 people on a trailway bus with no bunks in it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it was a rolling, rolling city. It was awesome. Yeah. And then did that for a while and then moved to uh, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina and went to work with a video company called Encore Video Productions. I said, you know what? I'm going to try this video stuff for a little while. And this is this is like 1984. And then why are there so many companies called Encore Video, though? Because, I mean, honestly, great, like, I, and I, I've had a hard time Rick keeping Dickinson track of the Encore Video. the original guy. <laughs> there's, there's like <laughs> 10 Encore Videos. Company. Yeah. How many Encore Videos are there? There's a I guess lot. So you can do it again. I, I, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and stayed in the video realm for a little while and uh, partnered and worked with a, another company out of Myrtle Beach called Video South. Uh, the Russell family, Steve Russell, Don Russell, David Russell, the, and, and we, you know, we edited and, you know, sold and did 3d animation. Hell, we did it. You know, we did it all. Can you, can you do this? Of course we can. All right. You got the contract. I'll go buy the gear. Let's figure out how this shit works. You know, that was, <laughs> was, it, was there so, a conscious decision Adam, at some point in your life that you're going to try absolutely everything in the entertainment business? You know, like I'm being a musician, close. working in a record store, going to a nightclub, doing sound, video and and it gets it gets better you know i think <laughs> still and when i had known uh you know mike swinford of course you know very well and dave haney yep. uh, at the time when i was in myrtle beach here comes the alabama theater is being built the country band and mark herndon and i had known each other from cherry point his father and my father were both uh together there in the military so i had known of mark and you know, we're egging the movie bus with him as a young kid. And it's like, oh, man, what a great opportunity. Because Alabama at the time, you know, they were huge, you know, and a, they still are, you know, in a lot of ways in my mind. But the Alabama theater got built and was like, yeah, we need a tech guy to come in and to help Swinford and HUD. and Let's put this big system in. And they're like, OK, I'm in. So I interviewed and flew up and talked to him. And it's like, yeah, Haskell, yeah, you know how to do this. Let's let's go. You know, I want you to come in, put it in and stay for about six months as the technical director. So three months into it, there was, this was going really well. And you know, it was a massive system in there at the time. This is in 1992. 
Yeah, 92, I believe this was. So long story short, it ended up staying there for almost seven and a half years as the uh, that stopped you know, as, as TD and general manager. I was doing both for Dale at the time. And uh, Bobby Wood and a lot of the other fine folks, Jack Humphreys, people that I worked with there. So there was a, a really good six-year run that kind of got me off the road, but I was you know, running this venue that we're doing 300 plus, 310, 320 performances a year with, a, with an Opryland show, and we would bring in the national acts every week, which wow. was you know, amazing. Alabama would play 10 or 12 times out of the year, and then this is where I got to really meet all these country. You know, we would play Billy Ray Cyrus. I mean, everybody from Billy Ray Cyrus to Floyd Kramer to Alabama, you know. So this is where I started befriending a lot of these Nashville musicians and a lot of these Nashville bands just from them playing all the time. And that's kind of where that relationship started with all these acts. And, you know, I'm, I'm happy to say I still have relationships and most of these people are all great friends of mine. And some of them are clients and business people now. And that's cool. You know, so fast forward and it was 1999. It was like, okay, I'm, I'm about ready to get out of here. You know, I've, 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 I've had my time here at this, this one venue. Now I'll never forget. We played, uh, we played Jim neighbors, you know, brought Jim in and growing up on a Marine Corps base, Jim Neighbors was God, you know, Jesus, Gomer Pyle. I remember sprinting home at three o'clock every day so I could catch Gomer Pyle on TV. Yeah. And long story short, Jim and I became friends from him repeatedly playing the theater. And in 1999, he said, you know, Dave, he says, what do you want to do? You know, what, what, if you could do anything in your life, what would it, you would, what would, you, what would your dream thing be? And I said, you know what, to produce records, to produce a record. He says, I would really? have said, I would have said, I want hmm. to be Gomer Pyle. Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. have you ever seen his, his houses on Maui and everywhere? Yeah, I would want to be Gomer yeah. Pyle too. Well, I mean, if Gomer but Pyle's he, asking uh, me what I want to be in life, I'm going to say Gomer Pyle. <laughs> Give me your gig. Yeah. So, but he came back the next year and said, you know what? I haven't recorded in like 35 years. And Jim at the time in his heyday was the number one selling act on Columbia. He outsold Stripe. Jesus. In fact, he says, you know what? I'm going to make a record and I'm going to let you produce it. Oh, that's wild. So buddy, it didn't take pack my car and my truck up in Nashville. And we made, you know, produced a record. I used a lot of the Alabama players and the people. And it was a, it was a double TV rec- gospel record that I produced. And we put that thing on TV, and you know, it was a good time. I actually hung out with Jim for a couple of years, you know, both in the recording and then you know running the our own little record label and the TV part of it. But huh. a funny story with Jim is, I was over visiting him at the time. Jim, little on, Jim is, was a very successful real estate person. He lived in the original plantation home of Diamond Head on on uh, on the Big Island. But he also owned all of like 900 acres on Hana Maui down there. Jeez. Him and, and George Harrison owned it. They had macadamia farms and flowers. And I'll never forget, I was visiting him at the, I was, he was actually letting me stay at his house there in Hana Maui. And I'll never forget, it was like 6 7 o'clock in the morning. I, you know, I'm in bed and I, I hear the door knocking. Gah, 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 gah. So I put a robe on, I walked to the front door, and I opened the door, and son of a bitch, it's George Harrison standing there. And he goes, is the coffee on? And I slammed the door on his face. What? So freaked out. 
literally, I went and immediately opened it back up. And he says, is the coffee on? <laughs> Evidently, he saw the lights on, assuming Jim was at the house, and they were great friends. Yeah. <laughs> so rest with Fran, I actually got to spend 45 minutes, almost to an hour, just sitting one-on-one having coffee with George Harrison. That is talking so about life. cool. Wow. What a, I mean, yeah. I mean, you can't make this shit up. Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, I mean, that's one of the really cool things. We've talked about a few of our own personal experiences on this show, but you know, one of the cool things in this industry is those pinch me moments, you know, where it's like, am I really sitting here having a, you know, like I, I remember one that I'll just quickly mention in New York, I got invited to uh, uh, lighting designer, Steve Cohen's birthday party. And he loves Steve, Steve Cohen. Yeah. He had um, reserved a uh, restaurant, a private restaurant, a friend of his owned it, very small restaurant, but it was maybe I don't know, 30 guests. It was a pretty small party. And of course I got there early. I think we were supposed to be there at seven 30. I got there at about seven 15 and there was no one there except one guy sitting at the bar and it was Billy Joel. And so I yep. just pulled up a chair next to him and sat there and we talked for 15, 20 minutes until other people came. And, uh, I think he was actually going through some kind of a rehab thing at that moment or something. So he was drinking iced tea and or water or whatever it was and uh i mean it was just like i'm sitting there going geez i'm sitting all by myself having a full-on normal conversation with billy joel this is kind of cool so i love this industry for that stuff me too i mean mean, hell look look at right now we're you know talking to friends of mine on something about what you've done you know yeah yeah, they're all moments super they're all moments super cool yeah. It is it is certainly amazing. Uh we had Jeff Cranfield on last week on the show. And um mm-hmm. it's amazing how much music comes out of North Carolina. I never really realized that listening to you talking on the podcast oh, about how much involvement you had. It's it's mind blowing. Yeah. And those those I mean, God, the bands out of there, Glass Moon, Arrogance, I mean Don Dixon, who I mean, there was so much music and so much just good. I you know I think that era, that that '70s era of music, was, in my opinion, the best produced music ever made. Yeah. In, in my opinion, I I completely agree. But you know, ask my 15 year old son, and he'll say it's stupid, and they all just scream and yell yeah. and bang on noisy stuff, and you know, it's stupid. And uh, yeah, so yeah, I mean, I I think the music today is kind of, you know, the problem I have with a lot of the music today, and we could go off for hours talking about this, but. You know, 50 years from now, what is classic music? If you listen to a classic rock station 40 years, 30 years from now, what are you going to be listening to? Same stuff we're listening to, the Stones, Led Zeppelin, because there's really nothing lasting, not much anyways, lasting coming out today. You know, it's all meant to get people (laughs) real excited for a minute, sell some records or get some downloads or whatever it is, and then they move on to the next thing. Yeah, the model has has changed. You know, you talk you know, about, about meeting people that are your your idols. You know, which is a which is a, a interesting story as to when I was back here in Nashville with Jim, um, I, I was working with uh, I worked with Vince Gill for a little while. You know, worked with Vince and his band, and, and Willie Weeks was his bass player. And Willie and I ended up becoming really really close friends for a long time. And he was sitting here one day. He was sitting here one day. He's just like, you know, Dave. Same type of question. Jim. He says, "Man, if you could have any gig in the world, what would it be?" 
you know? And I didn't even hesitate at the time. And I says, man, I'm the biggest fanboy of an artist named Keb Mo. I said, man, to get the opportunity to work with him would just be amazing. You know, really went, hmm, Keb Mo, interesting. So fast forward another four or five months, my wife and I, my mother, we're seeing Tina Turner here in Nashville. Big event, Joe Cocker opening up. I just watched a documentary on Joe Cocker last night, which was amazing. But yeah, as we're walking out, I get this uh, I get this phone call as we're walking out. It was a California number. And the guy answered up. He says, is this David Haskell? And I said, yes, it is. He says, it's Kevin Moore. And I just went, holy shit. You know, <laughs> he says, Willie, Willie Weeks says, you're the man I need to hire. So if you're interested, get your ass out here to California and let me see what you can do. And I'm just like, holy moly. You talk about, a, you know, one of those moments. It was like the biggest fan. I've been a fan of Kevin's music forever, you know. So, of course, what do I do? Get on a plane, go out to, th- uh, th- you know, third encore, you know, out there in L.A. And went into the first place to go see him supposedly for kevin to rehearse and had my bag flew in and went and sat in this room in the corner and i'm watching this amazing band just smoking playing killing it so the band takes a break looked over and the guy says well, can, well, can i help you i said yeah i'm i'm here you know i'm here to meet up with uh, kevin mo kevin moore he goes oh he's in the he's in the room next door so i've been in here for 30 come to find out it was al Jarreau's band <laughs> oh my god <laughs> wow that's this is cool. gonna be pretty cool you know <laughs> that's so cool i went oh shit you know so grab my bag walk over to the next room and there's kevin and his band that's at the time. So funny. you know an- another amazing band and he yeah. stops and looks at me and he goes so you must be david haskell and i said yes sir he goes get your ass behind that console and show me what you can do. Literally, <laughs> that was our first meeting. That's hilarious. And I ended up working with Kevin for four or five years and, and mixing him, tour managing him, and then later managing him for about a year and a half. Well, you know what so, I you know, just learned? Those uh, what I just learned is, moments, this, is if you know? I ever have a wish to kind of throw it to you because you apparently get all your wishes, you know, come true. I mean, you, you say, has, I mean, I'd really like to do this. Forward, and boom, you're doing it. It's been, you know, I, I don't know, an angel on your shoulder, you know, I, I don't know. It's just, I, yeah. I'm, I'm blessed. Well, when I read this stuff from your bio, I got to be honest, I, I had no idea who Kebmo was. So I find, you know, I think I know quite a bit about music, not everything for, oh my for God, sure. But, dude, you, but I didn't know Kebmo. Kebmo. I was not, and I've watched about 50 YouTube videos on him now. And I mean, really, really an incredible artist. And you know, one he I, is the shit. I couldn't tell yeah. you what the song was or anything. A lot from that man. But there was a YouTube video where he plays this really cool song, and there's a capo on the second fret of the guitar, and he's playing this really cool song on a small acoustic guitar, and then he stops and he goes, So what I was doing there is, you know, it's on the second fret, but you could kind of start it wherever you want. And he explains basically the whole song that he was just playing, and it's just really cool. It's almost like a guitar lesson. But it was a music video with, He's I don't a, know, a couple hundred thousand views. So Traveling with Kevin is like doing life yoga. I mean, Jeez. I learned so much from that guy. I mean, he is just one of the most chill, amazing people and musicians that, you know, I'm, you know, to this day, we're, we're great friends. And man, he's learned a lot about life from that guy. Man. That's he's so cool. 
you know, yeah, very, very cool. Yeah. Well, you've been, you've been a fortunate guy, it sounds. Well, I mean, hell. And then, you know, then, you know, Dale Morris, who's, you know, like my, you know, my, my employer, my boss, but also like a second father. to me. I mean, Dale has been, has given me so many opportunities. It's, it's unbelievable, you know? So how'd that start? That type of guy. It's, well, it started, you know, before, you know, Alabama kind of when, when Alabama was, you know, in their heyday and, you know, I had, had met Dale a couple of times through the years. And then of course, then the Alabama theater came along and that's kind of where our, our relationship really solidified quite a bit. And then as I came back to Nashville, you know, he was you know, meeting with me and at the time he was, you know, well, if you got, if I got anything, I'll let you know, son. You know, it's it's like like talking to you know Donald Trump about getting a job in the real estate market. You know, sure, yeah. I'll give you, you know, yeah. But we ended up, you know, being great friends, and then you know, the, then started working for him. You know, the Gretchen Wilson days. You know, big and rich. You know, tour managing and all of that. That whole music mafia scene for years, and ended up was doing them both at the same time. And there was a great conversation. We were at the we were in Las Vegas for the, the ACM awards, I believe it was. And I was tour managing and mixing both Gretchen Wilson and big and rich at the same time. This is when the music mafia thing was happening. And mm-hmm. I'll never forget Gretchen looking at Dale. She says, well, I want Haskell full time now. And Dale's like, Oh, well, you know, wait a minute there, sister. You know, it's going to can't quite do that. It's going to cost a lot. And I'll never forget Gretchen looking straight at Dale and saying, if I'm making as much fucking money as you say I am, I can have anybody I want. Wow. <laughs> wow. And Damn. Boing, 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 fast forward, I'm having to call John Rich and go, well, Gretchen, you know, she wrote the check first. So that started a, you know, a, working directly with Dale and, and tour managing his artist. And then fast forward a little bit longer, you know, we were, we were, you know, working between Gretchen and his acts and Kevin. And then, um, Alabama decided to Brent Barrett, who was their production manager forever. One of my favorite people when they decided to farewell in, uh, 2000, 2003, 2004, I can't remember the exact year, but the first farewell as they did Dale, I got the call in to go production manage that and took the helm of that over like five days before it went out. Cause you know, Brent at the time, it just had, you know, it was time for him to go and had enough. Mm-hmm. So I naturally got the call from having the relationship with the guys and then production managed that tour. And that was a, that was a massive tour. That first farewell tour was just insane. You know, how, you know, how successful it was and went through and did that for a while. And then, you know, moved on and did Sugarland. Speaking of Steve Cohen, you know, went and, and uh, production managed Sugarland for five years. Which, you know, got to work with Steve on that and, and then I'll never forget one day I was having lunch with Dale and he was, we were having, you know, our, our normal conversations and he's just like, well, son, what do you want to do? And, you know, are you interested in doing this? Are you interested in doing that? And, you know, and I was like, you know, well, no, at the time, you know, well, here, I'm, I'm comfortable here because, you know, at the time, but yeah, I'm making great money and this is what I need. And I'll never forget, it. there was a line that he told me and he looked me right in the eye and he says, you know what, son, making a living's costing you a fortune. Yeah. And I'll never forget that as yeah. long as I live. That's and it rich, took a little rich while dad, poor done. dad kind of stuff. Yeah. <clears throat> totally making is. it. Yeah. And I'll never forget that. And then fast forward, we, you know, I'm continuing to work and we have our lunches and talk. And one day we're sitting there and he says, you know, I'm looking for somebody to take over the sound and light company. Are you, 
interested, you know, anybody who might be interested in doing it. And of course me, eh, no, you know, I'll, I'll ask around to my friends. And then this goes on for, you know, a month or so of lunches and not really taking it. And one day that was that, that aha moment of like, Holy shit. He's, he's asking to you. ask me if I want, you know what that reminds yeah, me I'm of so, though, David is, did you so ever see dumb, dumb and dumb and dumber? Did you yeah. ever see dumb and dumber? Yeah. <laughs> when at the yeah, end, when the Swedish bikini team and, and they're like, oh, wait, 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 wait. They stopped the bus and they're like, no, it's that way. And they're like, God, some lucky guys are going to hang out with those girls. You know, I mean, it's so totally. stupid. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. It's pretty funny. And then that's kind of, that was eight years ago. And, you know, here we are, you know, built, you know, that is building wild. and continue to building it. Yeah. I mean, it's like, you know, so many, God, I can't, I can't say enough kind things about Dale, you know, what a, what a true father figure. And, and, and every day of this, you get those pearls of wisdom from guys and, you know, Titans and what they do like him that you just never forget. You know, you, you talk to the man almost every day and every conversation begins with good morning, son. And every conversation ends and I love you. Yeah. You know, well, Henry, always, Henry but always says that stuff for? about me, David, you know, he always says that <laughs> yeah, stuff that, about me, you know, that, he gets words of wisdom I've, from me I've every day the, and stuff. I've seen the pictures. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, so David, just out, just out of curiosity, are you still driving Dale's uh, Rolls Royce that's parked in the warehouse there? Is that still running? Yeah, absolutely. The, uh, well, the, well, uh, guys, I hate to even say it, but the white one is, yeah, that rolls, but the black one that he actually, he gifted that to me a couple of years ago. Wow. I remember seeing it. It literally fit. Yeah, it was literally sitting there, and I was just like, what are you going to do with this thing? And he was just like, well, shit, I don't drive it. And he wanted it. And he, shit, you can have it, son. Oh, and it was wow. the best thing, that was the first one he ever bought in, like, 1982 when, you know, Alabama was just setting the world on fire. That's cool. You know? That's so, really cool. So do you drive it they're, to they're church fun. on Sundays or? Every Sunday. That yes. is cool. Nine That's awesome. No, I don't. No. Oh. <laughs> no. No. I think that, <laughs> you know, some people worry a little bit that that might send the wrong message to some of your clients, you know, when you pull up in a Rolls. But. Well, yeah, I never go. I never take. I mean, it's it's just a fun driver thing. Now, it's yeah. a little, you know, ostentatious, if you will. You Perhaps. Know? Perhaps. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's but, really you know, cool. Dale being a. Yeah, we I was we we were a car warehouse, so finally I got him got him out of there because the guys in the shops, or at least the, the the white one, the 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 ghost, if you will, <laughs> that's gone. Because you know I'm gonna run a case of feeder into the side of this half million dollar car. It's finally, you know. <laughs> yeah. There was a bunch of stuff in the warehouse the last time. There was another classic car in there. It wasn't a Rolls though. It was sitting right next to it. I can't remember. What was it? Um. That was a roll. It, was, it would be a black, uh, the black, the black, uh, the black one, and the white one. There, it's at the point okay. there were two there, but yeah, the classic one is the old, the old black one, for sure. Hmm. It's kind of amazing. I've you know I've seen the new shop several times. It's amazing from where Morristown and Lighting has come, which was mini storage warehousing, to the first. Yep. You know warehouse. I think they got whacked by a tornado. Did it not? Right. Had the roof ripped off of it. Right. And then you yep. moved downtown. Yep. yep. Right. So it's mind-blowing yeah, how we much were, that's grown. It's been, you know, when when I took the, you know, when I, I took the helm at, God, two, eight years ago, right, at, right over Christmas, and we were in, 
you know, 18,000 square feet total with offices and everything. And that was big. And that was a, that's a, that was a big ass warehouse. And, you know, we, we started it with, you know, when the transition came, I think we had, you know, five to eight employees that kind of went with it. And at the time the, the company was born out of, you know, kind of just taking care of Dale's axe, Dale and Clint's axe. That was kind of how the company was born was to just taken care of. And, you know, the inventory had grown to a point where, you know, this is Kenny Chesney's rig and you put a bow around it and wait for him to go back out next year. And then you pull it out. And this is Alabama's rig. And I had the vision with them. I says, you know, man, we, we should take all this gear. And when these guys ain't working, we could rent it to somebody else, you know, thus, you know, there's, that's kind of how that yeah, got th- born. When I a, came in eight years ago, there's a bit of genius. Spreading right it out there. a little bit. Yeah. Smart. But that was also well, genius. <laughs> that was also about the, yeah. That was also about the time the Fontenelle became available, right? That's you guys do all the the work of the Fontenelle. Is yeah, that correct? Dale, Dale Dale owned that property and uh, just recently sold that property to a, another group that's going to do something even cooler with it in the, here in the really near future. But you know, one thing led to another. The the inventory kept growing, kept growing, kept growing, and. I found us, you know, reaching out and, and getting more clients, not just Dale's clients, but, you know, clients that weren't management clients, you know, and today that's, you know, this, the same thing. We've, we've got a, we've, you know, we've had very slow, as I say, slow, but very organic growth, which I think is the best way to do it, you know, because, you know, don't, don't get ahead of yourself or that's when you get, you get behind yourself. You know, I've heard mm-hmm. that line, you know, yeah. if you get ahead of yourself, you can never catch up, you know? Yeah. And now we're, we moved to Nashville and the, the Nashville move really came out of talking with Dale one day as if you, you know, like, like every company you're, you're down there in Murfreesboro and you're servicing Nashville and you know, you, you forget the flux capacitor in the, in the truck pack, you know, and holy shit, you know, now you're spending half a day and $300 to drive the, you know, drive a mic cable down there, you know, right. <laughs> to make yeah. everything work. And I said, and we, we found this warehouse here in, uh, in Nashville We've been it for about five years now, and it's we moved up to fifty thousand square feet, and we're like, uh, this is it. We're never going to need anything else. Yeah. Shit, we're already, you know, I know that busting story. The yeah, and, uh, yeah. Well, the other, what's the other pearl of wisdom? Like Dale's a little son. The goal was not to have all the gear in the warehouse. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Occasionally, terrible. occasionally though, it, occasionally it ends up that way somehow. Though you know it. Just seems to work out like that. At some point, the chickens come to roost, you know. And that's true. Now nah, we're just steady growth, and just, just you know, like I said, just really blessed. I mean, we're not just doing country anymore. I mean, we're doing we're doing the BTS tour right now. We're out on that the the world tour with the the, the K pop scene. You know, that's oh. that's just in, insane. You yeah. know, and of course Kenny Kenny Chesney's out and. I get to go out and work with him. I've got this week. I'm, I'm actually filling in. I'm actually going to mix this week. I'm oh, leaving tonight cool. to go mix Kenny this week. I was, I was, Ray Bold had another commitment. And, I was just actually going to ask you if you, you know, I know sometimes when you have to act like a grown up and be like a president or a CEO in a company, you don't get to do any <laughs> of the fun stuff anymore. And so I was going to ask you, do you still manage anyone? Do you still go out and do front of house sound for people? I, you know what, I do it occasionally. I, I went out with Gretchen a month ago, a month or so ago. She called, it's like, come on, Haskell, I'm doing these three dates. You know, it was casino dates. And let's go have fun. And it was like, you know, putting the band back together. So I got to do that. And from time to time, I'll, I get the opportunity to mix Kenny. I'm kind of the, you know, 
the left-hander in the bullpen. If, if Chris or somebody has a commitment or, you know, it's a one-off that's not in a, in a touring cycle, you know, I, I know the music. I know, <laughs> I know all the solos. I've seen it a few thousand times. Yeah. You know, fortunately I, now you have Kenny's trust to fill in that seat. Cause that's a, that's a big chair to step into, yeah. you know, yeah, it is <laughs> on yeah. a, on a one-off, but it's three shows this weekend. Hell I'm, I'm excited. You know, yeah, that'll be fun. I'm really excited. So I do get to do it every now and then. You know? So you're making, so you're mixing on the SSL now, not the uh, the Sun Mixers anymore, all no, jacked from together. The, yeah, from a sun, sun, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> from a sun magnet to a to an SSL. Yeah, what, what do they say? For from a mixer that costs as much as a spare tire to a mixer that costs more than a modest house in Brentwood now. Yeah, you know? yeah, it's <laughs> incredible. It's incredible. You know, we were just like I said, we were talking with the guy from Act Lighting and talking about the MA consoles and we've we've mentioned this in previous episodes just how expensive lighting consoles have become when you know it used to be a six seven ten thousand dollar item now it's fifty sixty and going up still and I think similar oh, stuff yet, has happened to and audio you have to consoles have a spare. and you have to have a yeah, spare you have to have exactly. an active spare that's incredible it's like God knows I wish I could have a, a spare you know, a spare audio console what the yeah. hell no you know but boy, if you get a rider, you've got to have three MA consoles. Thank God for Ben and those guys. Shit, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Too bad for us guys that have to pay for not it. Not too bad. I don't phase that wrong to pay for it. But yeah. Yeah, yeah it's. I think it's, B- BTS. There's eleven consoles out in front of house. Jesus. Eleven. Why? Great question. Well, Jeremy, Jeremy Lechterman is doing this. There is so much program. There's like five programmers working on the same file at the same time. God, it's, it's that big. It's, it's crazy. And they've got a console for the, the, the army bomb led lights that these kids buy and then, and they, and they map them. There's a whole console and a spare for that part of the show. Jesus. Yeah. So at what point does this, does the tour accountant show up and go, Hey, you're taking up too many seats for the paying people for, <laughs> Yeah. Does well, front of, does front it, of that, house that, really need to be an acre? <laughs> you know, yeah. no, it's it's only a half acre. Yeah, we yeah. we've actually yeah we're we're my favorite line is yeah, we're art meets commerce. Yeah, <laughs> 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 time to trim this back a little bit, guys. Yeah, that's a good one. No, it's a that that tour is nothing shy of amazing, and and Jeremy and those guys that have done it's just it's it's a phenomenon. The whole K-pop thing is just yeah. You have to really. Ex- go to it and experience it. I did last year and, and boy, I got the, you know, the full, the full face and gut punch of holy moly. Yeah. This is big shit. You know, let, let me ask you a question. Do you remember the first, uh, first time you had to mix a show on a digital console? Yeah. Let me think through. Yes. And let me think. there's two epiphanal moments when that, I do remember it was, um, when I was working with Vince at the time, Vince and Amy are big benefactors of Belmont university here. Yeah. You know, they, they give a lot of money to the music program and Vince says, Hey man, can you, is it possible for you to go oversee and mix? They're, they're doing their homage. You know, the, the, we'll call it the cavalcade of our music program at Belmont, which is always very, very good. It's an amazing university there with a great music program. I was like, yeah, no sweat, man. I'll, you know, can you just mix? I just want to make sure it sounds good because there's going to be a lot of people out there, hoopties, you know. And I said, no sweat. So I kind of did it. And I remember I said, Ryan Nelson was the kid sitting there, really young kid, 18 years old. And it was on a PM1D. 
going to ask you that. And I walked up and I went, what the hell is this thing? You know? <laughs> and he goes, it's a really great console, you know, and it's blah, blah, blah. And you can actually mix it and take a snapshot and a picture and you can hit a button and it all recalls. And I went, interesting. Why don't you operate and I'll tell you what to do. <laughs> <laughs> and then kind of got my got my hands on it and then you know it was it was it was it was for me from being an analog guy for so many years it was i was scared to death but on on the you know on the right hand i was just going man this is the coolest shit ever you know well, it, i could screw up and it, hit a button and it all like, goes right back like having to speak a foreign language for the first time while negotiating with terrorists you know <laughs> Yeah, so, it's like well, speaking of speaking of K-pop, no. Yeah. Oh God, that's funny. We um, and I'll never forget that. You know, the recallability of it. You know, it's a yeah. recall console. Well, and, or the man, fact I, that you show up with a disc and you know you've yeah. got your whole mix set and no up. No outboard gear. Yeah, I mean, what? And no outboard gear. It's incredible. Yeah, there's a, a recall console. I, I have a funny a funny story about the, the terms recall console, and it was with the. Uh, it was with Gretchen, and we were doing a uh, to keep everybody nameless. We were doing we were doing an award show, and uh, it was a very high profile music award show, and we were um, CMAs, perhaps. No, it was <laughs> it was it was in L.A. And I'll leave it oh, at that. Okay. Um, but we were mixing, and and I was I had Gretchen up on the deck and on the stage, and I was like, well, this is, this, you know, we're we're going to be on this new digital desk and everything, and I said, so if you know if you Everything you do here today, because we'd rehearsed two days before, I'd say everything will be, you know, right as it was, and it's it's a it's a recall. It'll come right back and it'll snap right in. So she snaps her ears in, blah blah blah. We do the performance, and it was a multi-act performance. We were with several other acts, and I was standing over on stage right, you know, because you don't do anything on those award shows, and she was just glaring at me the whole show, like I'm gonna fucking kill you when I get off this deck. I'm just gonna kill you. I'm gonna kill you. <laughs> So, okay, and I walk over, and she pulls out her ears, and she says, where's the monitor engineer? And I went, oh, boy, this isn't going to end well. I said, well, he's up on the second level here, you know. She gets in, in, in and climbs over the, the rail, over the fence, and goes up to the monitor console, and the operator there at the time, who's still a friend of mine, I, I felt so bad, and she went to him. She goes, so, recall console, hey? Yes. How did she go? I don't recall it sounding like shit yesterday. (laughs) (laughs) That's hysterical. That's what the recall means. That's a story. That's a story that that just hit me there. That's that's one that I'll never forget. I don't recall it sounding like shit yesterday. Yeah. But yeah, and then you know, then you know, consoles. It's all digital now. PM5 started on a touring really with the PM5D. That was the first one. So then have been the Midas fan ever since you know yeah. so last year last two summer touring seasons there was a little bit of a spike in the return of the heritage 3000 console where yeah you would plug the the output of the console into i believe it was called a waves processor so you would have a what people would call a hybrid uh console so you know all of the out everything yep. can you explain that a little bit is that still in demand in the nashville music scene well, you know what's kind of coming back the 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 true guys that are really doing your Chris Stapleton's and you know the uh, you know Eric Churches and some of these guys 
everybody's going back to the old big honking tube outboard gear and everything, which I think is amazing. Hmm. You know, and, a lot of the, I, I wouldn't say a lot. And, you know, I would front a house, of course, it's nice and it's fat and you can manipulate it to whatever you need to. But, you know, I'm surprised that there hasn't been a, if there's going to be a comeback of the analog desk, I would think that it would be in the monitor position because, you know, in ear, and that's something that really, you know, doesn't change a whole lot. You know, if you're in a touring situation with a monitor, but I, I just, I never really figured out why guys don't want to go, you know, in, in ears, you know, with an analog console, I could just, for, to me, that just seems like such a natural place and hear it, you know, yeah. in its purest form, you know, shoved yeah, right sense. in your ear canal. Makes sense. Yeah. You know, interesting. But, yeah. Yeah. That, the, yeah. The plug-ins. Oh my God, the plug-ins. Right. You know? <laughs> so, yeah, 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 yeah. I've got tell a, us I've a got a, I have a, yeah. Go ahead, Dave. Sorry. Uh, the, the, the plug-ins with, you know, a lot of these, I think one thing that's really shaped or changed audio is, was the, the implementation of the GUI or the, you know, the graphic, the graphic interface mm-hmm. to where we as engineers and as a, as a, as an industry started looking, looking at audio, an EQ, for instance, what does it look like? And you're the visual of what it looks like. And some of them are very good and some of them are not so good. We, we, as a, as a, as an industry have kind of moved into, well, it looks like it sounds good. And I use that term a lot, you know, but not using your ears, but mixing with your eyes. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I think it has put a big hindrance in people's ability to, to mix musically. Yeah. You know, you've got all these plugins and a lot of these people, you know, there's, you know, just because you can, doesn't make it worth it. You can put nine plugins on the lead singer's vocal, you know, and, and, you know, why is the PA feeding back? Because you're looking at that ninth plug-in on your singer and he's standing in front of the PA, you know, lift yeah. your head, you know, lift, it, mix with your ears. But it's funny, the same, same thing's the happening in, in lighting. And, and we talked to, uh, to Brickman about that. I'm you know, he, yeah. he did, uh, he did Neil Young with four follow spots. That was the lighting rig. And, Perfect. um, you know, it was just right down to basics, just really pure. And, you know, it got huge reviews and, and Neil loved it and the audience loved it. And, uh, so I think at the end of the day, just because you have lots and lots of gadgets doesn't mean you need to use them all. You know what I'm going to do? I, I have a theory. Remember when we had, uh, um, you know, when Y2K came about? Yeah. When you had to have the green sticker on everything or, you know, the world was going to implode at midnight or, you know, 1201 on New Year's Day. Yeah. Yeah. I think we, we do a secret thing that with all these plugins, I'm like on July 14th of 2021 all the plugins in the world just mysteriously stop working and it would be a hallelujah moment. what do you get you get 10 more db out of your pa you know the band sounds fresher cleaner <laughs> you funny. have to actually put the microphone in the right place to get the sound you know that's funny stop. all the things that could happen <laughs> yeah. so i oh, i understand goodness. uh i think it was henry who was telling me that you get involved with a um a foundation, a, a, uh, that you, that you play a big role in, I think. TJ Martell. Yeah. Uh, TJ Martell. Right. Yeah. That's something that, uh, I'm very fortunate. It's very near tomorrow. It's a, it's a children's 
Cancer Research Foundation that was founded by Tony Martell, and it's very heavily represented and helped with a lot of music industry people. You know, it's very uh, – the cause is very dear to me, obviously. Yeah. You know, yeah. I've lost some, some great friends and, and family members to it. But it's just a great way that we do music events and musical people get together and raise money for children's cancer research. You know, it's, a, it's just one of those most – you know, one of those things that just, it's fun to do, you know, yeah. and I've been fortunate enough to be on the board with that and you just get so much goodness out of it, you know, good for you, that's fantastic. TJ Martell is one. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a big fan of it. And, you know, Tenty Moffat, the girl who runs it here. And it's just, yeah, just can't say enough good things about it. You know, it's, so the, it's a great foundation and it's a great, great thing. How often do they do events like live events? Oh, well, we do live we do live events, we do galas, we do you know one a month, and it's nationwide. It's not just Nashville. Right. This is a this has grown into a big thing. You know they'll do charity wine auctions and mixers and galas. Yeah, you know, there's a hundred you know a lot of ways to get people to open up their pocketbooks for great causes. You know. Yeah, that's that's really. And it's cool. a really you know, it's really good. That's been I've been very fortunate to. Yeah, yeah, thanks. Be a board thanks member for doing on that. that. That's that's quite a quite a cause too. I mean, there's nothing more sad than these commercials and things you see of, you know. And God forbid, I actually have known a couple people who have gone through it and lost their children to cancer. So, yeah, it's a it's yeah a horrible see, disease I mean, on, on old people, side, much worse on younger. Yeah. So, well, to, and to see the positive side of it when you go into a research hospital and you you see the goodness that you're doing. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And and you see the the success story and the positive story that comes out of it. Yeah, that's amazing. Just like you know, makes you realize how insignificant we as individuals are. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So tell me something. So I know that you are basically at the core an audio guy, and you now stand at the helm of a rather large sound and lighting company. Um, what are some nuance differences between? you know, running the lighting side of the business and running the audio side of a business? I think they, they both are, have equal amount of quote unquote nuances or responsibilities. Um, lighting is more, you know, obviously I, I use the term a lot of, you know, lighting is, is great. You put the systems together, you keep up with the technology and it all works and it doesn't work. And the only thing you're guilty of is bad taste you know, <laughs> on what you do with it. Yeah, that's true. That's kind of true. Audio is so personal, you right. know, right. you know, and, and lighting, for instance, blue is blue. But when an audio guy, I want the PA to be a little more blue, you know, like, Whoa, what does that mean? Yeah. You know, your interpretation of blue is, is much more literal. But yeah, as far as we're kind of, you know, I would say our lighting business is probably 60% of our business and our audio is about 40 Right. And, you know, the lighting has, has taken its, its on. But as far as overseeing it, you know, the only difference is lighting requires a lot more, quote unquote, custom build out from tour to tour, which, which it makes it a little harder to implement. But on yeah. the end, it keeps it fresh because you're building a new house every time. Yeah, I guess that's Tours true because the sound system pretty much hangs the same way. Are, it's, yeah, for the most part. And yeah. it's, it's one box and, you know, and. You have your one console and your other console and monitors, or two consoles and monitors. How you know, depending on how the app does. Yeah. I don't want to say that audio is not a, a big creative part of things. Of course it is, but the the lighting thing is just more. 
it's more fun for me. It's like you're, you know, it's like, it's like staying in a different four seasons every day. You yeah. know, you get to, Oh, this one's cool, but it's a little bit different. And they're just, they're a little more intensive to build, Yeah, you know, than an audio system. But what about you know, from a gear I've, standpoint, I've though? Like, like uh, do you find it much more difficult staying, you know, up with the Jones, uh, up with the Joneses, or <laughs> you know, staying ahead of technology as opposed to getting run over it by it? Um, okay, totally get it. Yeah, I, I think there's two. Now there are differences and nuances and differences between the the audio side and the lighting side as far as how long your investment is good for audio. You have a tendency for it to be a bit longer, mm-hmm. you know, you know, five to seven years is probably a good analogy of how long a console is going to be relevant or a PA system is going to be relevant. Right. A light, not so much, you know, you've got the certain meat and potatoes, your BMFL wash beams, you know, things like the, what I call, you know, big gas or meat and potato fixtures like the 3,500 was for many years. Those things are going to stay, you know, pretty relevant for three to five years, I would think, or I hope. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but the, the, the new, the new gag light, as, as we refer to them, or the, you know, you know, the, the, the flipping dolphin or the trick and pony light, whatever you want to call it today, mm-hmm. you know, that the rage you try and hedging your bet on how you purchase those is, you know, of course is designer driven and, you know, of course, manufacturer driven, that was, you know, I wish at one point we could set all the manufacturers down and just put a gun to their head and say, no new product for two years, please. Just yeah. two years. You know, give, us, give us all a chance to recoup a little bit. Yeah. But understand, you know, it, it's something, it's, it's harder. And lighting is, you know, you spend, I think it's more capital intensive, I think, on, on shorter burst than audio is. But, you know, it's, Keeping up with it is you just kind of have to. I try and do a you know attend trade shows, but look and listen. And I've had a great relationship with all of our manufacturers, to where you can actually go and see and look at what's new and have some input on what's new. Right. You know, in in the in the lighting world, it's, we've had things, uh, are, things are a lot different. We've had some conversations with a few of the manufacturers and Elation. I think last week, yeah. Um, Mm-hmm. discussing pretty much exactly what you just said, you know, the, the life cycles, um, how long you can keep something relevant, etc., being very important to rental companies, but sort of the flip yeah. side of that is really important to the health or the finances of a manufacturer. So how do you balance your needs and their needs? And, you know, I think the manufacturers are finally realizing in a pretty big way that that is a problem and that, you know, you can't just keep shoving, you know, uh, yeah. version 1.2, 1.3, you know, all in one year where they have to buy new hardware. Uh, you're going to lose customers and the customers are going to lose money. And at the end of the day, if a rental company can't keep a light past its, uh, you know, its payback, then yeah. you're, you're probably not going to buy that light anymore. So, um, I think everyone's going to get a bit more responsible. I do believe there are a few too many brands today and all mm-hmm. those brands have basically the same selection of fixtures, you know, a wash, a hard edge, a big wash or, you know, I mean, they basically have the same pretty much family of fixtures. And so it comes down to your relationship with that manufacturer and just picking a manufacturer and riding it. Whereas it used to be, you might take a wash from one company, a spot from another one, an effect fixture from another company. Um, you know, now it's kind of yeah. you grabbing a whole family family from one company. 
And so you really got to trust that company's going to, you know, uh, pay back. A, they're going to be around yeah, yeah. in three well, to five years. That's important. It's the same thing. I equate that to um, a great analogy is like blind testing bottled water, you know? I don't get it. <laughs> okay. Here, <laughs> Explain, please. Here are, here are all of, here's, uh, today we're going to look at, let's just pick one, profile fixtures, okay? Mm-hmm. Here you go. Here is the offering of profile fixtures that are available on the market. Okay, they're all like a bottle of water. They all look clear and depends on how the label looks and the shape of the bottle that you put it in. Mm-hmm. And then you taste every bottle of water and you look at every profile fixture. And at the end of the day, which water do you like the best? Yeah, yeah. Can you tell the difference? Yeah. yeah with the lights out and the thing 32 feet in the air? Probably not. Some people say yes. Some people say no. Yeah. <laughs> it's very similar. I guess what I'm saying is, there's so much product out there and there's lots of great product out there right yeah, now. Better than as ever. you're looking at it as a, as an, uh, as an owner or someone purchasing it, you're like, you know, you get anesthetized to it. Yeah. Looking well, at them. You almost okay. have to buy the okay, company. Got? Yeah, you got to buy the get, company instead yeah. of the product, right? Because the products yeah, are know, all well very put. good right well now. Put. The products are all very yeah, good. So it's, who's going to be best for me to do business with? is is really that's probably correct. what it comes down to yeah which is yep. interesting that's yeah. Exa- that's exa- yeah it's a little thing called, you know back to the where art meets commerce as i always like yeah. to use you know roi yeah you no, know? it's very very Let's true think about roi here guys you know yeah very that's, true we have to as they as dale said well son it's it's not how much you make it's how much you keep yeah you know? that's <laughs> very true so what's on the horizon yeah. for morris Good. Just, I think, you know, more just continued organic growth and, and trying to, you know, growing our people as, you know, gear is gear. And we've all heard that, you know, blah, blah, blah. Everybody with anybody with a line of credit can get gear, yada, yada, yada. But the the biggest thing that we're investing in, in our company is packaging and people because you can't, that's what uh, people are buying us they're not buying you know roby or or d and b although right. they're great products and those are ones we lead with the people that's the biggest that's a big thing right now man is how people are keeping up with the demand for people not yeah. just gear and i think that you know the education side of we've got to bring get these younger people involved faster and bring them along faster as the older generation, not just be sit over here and not, not to coin the bad, you know, go get my coffee or, or go right. bring me the feeder, right. you know, that sort of, no more of really, a mentoring, think, mentoring a, program. Absolutely. And, and it's more important than ever right yeah. now, because I know you're seeing it. We're all seeing it. Yes, absolutely. It's there's, and these, these young kids are so bright. Yeah. I mean, crazy bright. You know, very bright, but and, also some of them tend to be a pain in the ass too. You know, the whole millennial mentality well, is frustrating at yeah, times. So, but yeah, they're smart. Yeah, so so were we. Remember in in 1970. That is very we, true. That is very true. You make a valid really point, too. man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, that's so cool. Letting these people. Yeah, just I think if anything else, bring them along fast. 
and, and teach them, you know, teach them the morals of things that we've learned. But we also have to learn from them on the technology side. You know, yeah. if somebody was to put a gun to my head right now and put me on a system and say, you got two minutes to pass audio through this from start, go. I would say, put a gun to my head now and save us both a minute and a half, yeah. you know? Yeah, shoot me, man. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> you have yeah. to be an IT specialist now. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's, I mean, it happened with lighting too. You started to see some of the older designers kind of fall into the wayside and newer designers coming up, young you know, guys mm-hmm. that were born out of nightclubs, discos and stuff that were coming up and being real hotshot designers, especially when you look at EDM and you've got, you know, guys at the top of these massive EDM festival rigs like Steve Lieberman, you know, who I used to sell product mm-hmm. to for clubs that he worked in in New York. And, you know, he's he's the hottest guy in EDM right now. And so it's it's there we're seeing a bit of an evolution that i think is partly based on the gear on the fact that we have much more technology involved and therefore i I think from a need standpoint but also an interest level like younger people are more interested in hot new technology and stuff perhaps um so absolutely everybody wants to date the pretty girl yeah yeah. Well, and I think every company, I, I think you make a very valid point in that I believe every successful company in this industry has to have sort of a mentoring, bring new young talent into not only into this company, but into this industry. Like you might have to take guys that aren't even in the industry or girls and, you mm-hmm. know, educate them on the industry and get them with nice wide eyes and great ideas coming into a business that sometimes is a little crusty and old and bringing those new ideas and fresh thoughts. And, uh, but I love that our industry is looking at a couple of things. One is mentorship programs, I think is really important. And, um, last week talking or not last week, the week before, um, talking with Cranfield about, you know, going back and, and teaching at, uh, you know, the, the college where the arts, yeah, yep. where he learned lighting, he's gone back and he's teaching classes there now. That's an amazing thing. I yep. love that. And I also love that our industry has become very charitable. So I appreciate what you're doing with, uh, with TJ Martell and, and, uh, that's a very cool thing. And, you know, with TJ that Martell, CMA the same way, you know, yeah. there's so much giving back CMA. I'm on the board with that. That's oh yeah. Right. The amount of money they give, they give back to the industry is, Staggering. I mean, I didn't realize it until I, you know, was part of it. Yeah. You know, all that money is just, you know, like the T. I attended an event last night for music teachers. Wow. And, you know, they honored 60 teachers gave them all tons of money for their programs. You know, that's really like, cool. How, that's how rewarding, man. And so, yeah. where are they raising this money from? Same kind of things like events and. Yeah, well, the, the CMA Festival, you know, the. All the events that they do, the TV shows that they do, all that revenue yeah. goes in, and it's 50% of it feeds this foundation. And That's it's, really cool. We're not talking thousands. We're talking millions of dollars. I mean, big yeah. millions of dollars. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, and it must be very cool for you to sit on that board and help decide how the money gets spent and just see the difference that you're making in in people and programs' lives. You know, That's really cool. That's what... That's what makes the, you know, being able to give back, excuse me, and contribute something back instead of taking, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I guess when we all get to that age, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah. What are we leaving behind? 
Yeah. That's yeah, right. I agree with you. Yep. Well, David, what I, we bring along? I, I thank yeah. you very much for joining us today. We've, we've uh, taken enough of your day, I think. And, and uh, uh, guys, it's been, been my pleasure. Jeez. Yeah. Well, I say, you we know, way out to it. Kenny, right? Yes. <laughs> Reliving, reliving, get a chance to relive the old days there for a little while. It was kind of fun, a nice trip. And thank, thanks for the opportunity. You and guys I, are... I promise when I come into Nashville, I'll, I'll make a point of coming over and, and actually shaking your hand and meeting you in person. Cause now, uh, now Ooh, I feel like dude. I know you. So, Oh, that's very kind. And thank you very much. Thanks okay. so much. David. Thanks David. You Appreciate enjoy it. your day. Okay. You too guys. So there you have it. Once again, thank you for joining us today on Geezers of Gear, episode 17. And thanks again to our sponsor, Act Lighting, North America's leading distributor of entertainment technology products. We'll see you again next week. Don't be